0: Welcome to Business Data Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how they use a range of data to analyze business performance and inform strategic planning and decision making. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode.
1: Niyayari Giam, Jaganba, na Gayabul, Yarrawah peoples, near Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Gayabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba.
0: Our guest for this episode spends her daily life on social justice that empowers the most vulnerable and disadvantaged in our communities. Kate Venables is the Executive Director of Catholic Care Darling Downs and Southwest Queensland, but is also a member of the Toowoomba Catholic Schools Council, the Regional Development Australia Board for Darling Downs and Southwest Queensland, the St. Vincent's Hospital Regional Advisory Council and St. Bart's Finance Committee and Parish Council. She has postgraduate qualifications from QUT and ACU and an extensive background in relationship education, collaboration and regional program management and has held several leadership and managerial positions in the social services sector in regional Queensland. Kate Venables, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here.
0: Kate, thanks for joining us today. Can you tell me a little bit about your current role in the organisation you work for?
1: Sure, so I am the Executive Director of Catholic Care Social Services and so um, I guess in uh, another world that's the CEO and uh, my organisation is um, part of uh, the social services sector which delivers support services for people in community. Specifically, we work with families and individuals, Um, we do a whole lot of great work with refugees and migrants, we work with First Nations peoples, and we also work with local businesses, so we're pretty diverse. In fact, uh, last night at an event, I said we're a bit like the Brady Bunch in the way we all come together.
0: (laughs) Kate, it's a a pretty impressive organisation and the things you do are very impressive, but how did you get to that spot?
1: I, I guess I have just had um, extraordinary opportunities, really, that have been offered to me uh, in terms of leadership. So I started as a teacher. I think the inherent bossiness in me, um, you know, has probably found its home as a CEO. But but I think as a as a teacher, I learnt lots of organisational skills um, and sort of group management and behaviour management. Um, when I stepped out of teaching, I thought the community sector looked interesting, so I started doing client work. But apparently must have been providing feedback to management about the way I thought things could improve. And so uh, over time, I did a couple of comments and then I was lucky enough to step into the space and, and I guess really in many ways had opportunities to do sort of centre management type work and then regional management and eventually sit in this really privileged position.
0: What we're talking about today, Kate, is business data and how it influences how leaders can plan and evaluate their organization's performance and, and sort of therefore the future potential. What do you do at Catholic Care with business data?
1: Well, I have to confess, I said something to my CFO about this and she literally snorted with laughter, um, uh, probably love and laughter, but lots of laughter. And um, and it's because in truth, my uh, skill set probably doesn't normally lie in numbers, uh, but the reality is that you actually can't do business anymore without having these things. And I think that uh, it's about how numbers are presented and um, what, it, what it the way that you understand them and then how you use them to inform ongoing business decisions. As well as uh, exploring new possibilities.
0: So, how how do you take data as as someone who who's um, not used to numbers and spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff? How do you take that and turn it into something that you can understand and then make informed decisions from?
1: I probably work on that KISS principle, keeping it simple. And um, I ask the most insane amount of dumb questions um, because I tend to find that I look at the data first and I think, oh yeah, I've got that. And then someone ask me a question, I'm like, nope, I haven't got that. So I go back again and again. And, and in many ways, it's familiarity often, the more you work with data, the more you sort of understand things. So I think that for me, it's really about Understanding really deeply what that data means, because um, once I've gotten that, then we tend to use dashboards now. They are obviously really popular, um, partly because you know it provides me with pictures. But but in all honesty, um, whilst the pictures are great in terms of summary and simple, if I haven't understood the data underneath it, uh, or at least how we've gathered it, where it's come from, who's provided it, and then what it means, I find that pictures aren't necessarily as useful. Because if someone asks me a tricky question, I've just got this really high-level thing and I'm like, I'm not so sure.
0: (laughs) Can you tell me a bit of a story about how you use data at your meetings on a a weekly basis?
1: Sure. So we use all sorts of um, interesting data, uh, which I think is probably pretty common for um, leaders in all sorts of sectors. So we use uh, client data or customer data. We use financial data. We use workplace health and safety data. Um, We use staff feedback data. Uh, and then we um, have uh, all the other kind of bits and pieces in terms of ongoing client surveys and satisfaction work. So we have lots of data. Uh, that would sound like the world's most boring meeting. And frankly, I'd poke <laughs> my eye out if we actually had to have all of that. But but what we have is kind of on, ongoing dashboards that just get updated. And so we tend to have a sense of where, you know, where the, the healthy base is in our data. And when something is much lower or much higher, that's when we tend to pop in it. So, you know, that um that, you know diversity plus or minus 10% rule um, is often one that we apply with a whole lot of data. And it's not because we think it's wrong, but we want to know what's happened and what's going on. And sometimes if there's an ongoing trend, um, it helps us make decisions about change possibly because we're really seeing the data change.
0: And what sort of changes have you seen over the last years, which have cropped up in data uh, that you've then been able to inform decisions and change the ways that you've worked?
1: Um, well, actually, that's a great question. And in fact, one I only yesterday had a yarn with my payroll officer about. So um, financial data, people data, uh, we have been using a dashboard in payroll now for about 12 months. And even though I approve payroll, so I actually see you know, what, what everyone is doing, at least in terms of leave and all those things um, every fortnight, it's when you have it placed together that in fact, you get a picture. So a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, I wonder if this person seems to be having a lot of leave. You in my head it feels like they are but but are they and so that was the stuff that we started to put into dashboards and and that helped us actually go to somebody and say hey what's going on you know we can see all this leave you're taking their manager had already done some stuff but we actually had a a long conversation and helped them work out that in fact they just you know were not able to cope and they cut down on their work so that was, and that was a really helpful thing for everyone. And I guess for the manager, they had been working with him in a sort of personal one-on-one support way. But I was really saying, hey, practically, you're taking a heck of a lot of leave. Here's what I've got for you to be able to show that. So people decisions, certainly um, you, you can make that are really useful. The, the obvious ones, I guess, are around um, if you get a client satisfaction data coming in all the time and you've got someone who's outstanding and someone who clearly is not, then you're going to do some work there. And sometimes the work is, what can we do to help you get? better because obviously we've got some feedback that's saying there are some deficits in what you're providing Um, and maybe it's about can we buddy you up with this person who's doing brilliantly because obviously they've got some great things they're doing.
0: Mm. So there's a lot there about performance analysis on an individual level but also an organizational level. Are you able to draw organizational performance analysis out of that data
1: yes, absolutely. I guess when you get government funding as you do in our space, uh, there's lots of reporting that we do. Government um, funding bodies adore data uh, significantly more than I do, and so we're we're constantly reporting data in that space and one of the things that we find often in that sort of big picture data that we provide to funding bodies is in fact it's very quantitative because you know you want outputs numbers are quick and easy but it's the qualitative data that is harder to report um and and you know so there's are some of the challenges we make organizational decisions for instance so um if we were to have a sudden increase in demand in terms of counseling and we look at the data and we can see that you know everyone is flat strapped they're, they're having to do five and six sessions a day and we've got a wait list that's the sort of data that we would use then over a course of a month to say actually you know we're going Going to bring on a new staff member or we're going to increase someone's hours so at that sort of practical level we do that sometimes we've used financial data to present to government to say you know this is what a particular project is costing we've got all that data behind us we've got some really great evaluative information um, we'd like you to give us some funding so you, we can get more money from that sometimes we use data to measure what is the impact we have in terms of stakeholder engagement
0: and is that qualitative, that data, the impact?
1: Uh, the impact is definitely qualitative, without a doubt. Though There are some kind of basic numbers, to be honest, that you can run. So we run numbers around sort of uh, meetings attended, around partnership agreements or MOUs that are drawn up, around um, when we can track them, clients that come through because of that work. But it's most definitely qualitative because oftentimes in, in the people industry, lots of what we do is about connection and relationship building.
0: Mm. But, but there seems to be a move to take quality qualitative data and summarise it in a quantitative way.
1: That is right. And, you know, that is so tricky. Uh, One of the challenges we have um, now when government says to us they'd really like to measure outcomes for clients, which, of course, in principle, we think is fantastic. They then use this incredibly quantitative, you know, ruler to measure the the changes in. And, you know, that's tricky if you sort of come from a mainstream population. But if you come from a population where you are a refugee or migrant, just some of the questions that the, the surveys want us to ask to measure it. this um, theoretically qualitative information <laughs> becomes really hard. And so whilst I think it's, it's an incredibly important thing that we do it and we continue to try and work through solutions, um, it's not easy to do. The reason people use numbers is because that's much easier to count.
0: Yes, yes, and summarise and present it at board meetings. But as you say, very tricky to turn qualitative data into quantitative data without um, making lots of assumptions That uh, scale comes to mind, the how satisfied with you on a one to five scale, Uh, very hard to say. I'm about a four, I think. Uh, when a conversation is really what we're talking about and, and what you do on a day-to-day basis or your organisation and the people who work for it do is about conversations and relationships.
1: 100%. And in fact, sometimes the, the tricky thing is that um, we know particularly in, in our counselling programs, in our mediation programs, people come in and they say that um, they think they've got a reasonable um, knowledge about parenting or something generic like that. And over the course of three sessions, in fact, it, that goes down, not because they've got lessons Information, but because they come, become aware of just how little they actually knew. And so that, that doesn't necessarily look like great data. But when you ask the questions and drill down, um, you can actually see some genuine change occurring. Um, but it just if you were to look only at those numbers, you wouldn't see that story.
0: So in terms of that data gathering, how do you decide on what questions it is that you're asking and, and not asking?
1: We try really hard to ask questions that are evidence-based and so that we've got, so basically some very clever person um, at a university somewhere has done a whole lot of research to say, you can ask these questions and these responses are, um, have sort of been tested and tried again and again and again. So we try to find that, those sort of tests to be able to um, use that and then um, share that with clients, and and that works for for many programs. But programs like our um, First Nations peoples programs and our refugee and migrant programs that doesn't work. And then we try, we we find ourselves in interesting situations where we're wanting to use easy English, but without necessarily losing you know the important part of the measure. And we and it's also interesting because we're we're sometimes asking client groups who don't necessarily respond very well uh, to that sort of feedback. And so then you have to find other ways. So it might be a case of having to sit with them and have a conversation with them and then record the data, which obviously has an interpretive layer over the top of it. It may be, in fact, you have to use an interpreter to be able to have that conversation to to get that information out. So it's it's certainly that we attempt to use, wherever we can, really good evidence-based uh, questions and tools, but, but they don't always have the flexibility that we desire. And so then we have to work to try and really meet client need to be able to get their incredibly important feedback.
0: I want to move now to the use of technology. You were talking about dashboards before. What sort of technology do you use to gather data and present it?
1: Well, it's funny, you know. I um, actually think that I'm not sure we could do it without our IT anymore. When I started, sort of, in management um, in 2005, so I'm incredibly old. Uh, we had something called the green book. The green book was the information we kept all about the clients' attendance and that sort of thing. So they had case notes, and then we had the green book. And um, uh, you know, the green book was gold. And if someone had lost the green book, the, you know, we would have it would have all been over and or over. But you didn't have to plug the red book in, as a green book in. You did not have to have power generated. If Telstra suddenly went down, you could still find the green book. So we are entirely reliant on IT on our on our sort of data entry, um, on the programs that are generated. We use you know we use phones to to use QR codes to do surveys to pull that information out. Again, we have power apps. Um, We are our data is literally driven by IT and. And it's extraordinary what we can do with that. But the reality is when um, other things go down, like power, actually we become really limited.
0: Mm. And, and ha- has that technology changed how you use data today for the organisation c- compared to and, and you know, even if, did you use a lot of data, say, when you started in 2005?
1: that's such a great question. Um, The quick answer is no, we really didn't. I I think it's a, I think it's sort of particular probably to the community services sector. Um, We were very, very people driven. Obviously we still are, and that's at the core of what we do. Um, But I suspect we poo-pooed numbers and thought they were for accountants and financial people, you know, and widgets. And we were people people, so therefore we didn't think data was particularly important. So, so really in the last Uh, 15 or 16 years, we've come an extraordinary way in terms of A, um, actually valuing data and B, how we gather it. I I think that in terms of technology and the change, I mean, you know, really kind of 10 years ago, to be able to say how many sessions we delivered, how many clients we saw, you know, the sort of broad demographics about the clients, we thought that was pretty amazing. But when I think about the data we pull now, um, it's literally sort of preschool compared to a PhD, And yet in the moment, I think we were probably doing the best that we could given all that we had access to.
0: And that therefore changes the way that you analyze your own business. Now, I assume there is a a monthly and certainly yearly um, analysis of how the organization is going and you would use a lot of data when you're doing those analyses.
1: Absolutely. I mean, really, um, I suspect sort of when one report, so we obviously really are reporting to our strategic plan that we do quarterly in, in that really big picture space. And that's certainly for the for the board, a very important part of what we do. And we have all sorts of different databases that drive the information that we then share with the board. And once upon a time, I suspect, you know, that would have been a verbal report somebody did. So it's extraordinary to think, really, that a board member sat and listened and nodded their heads and said, well done. Um, and now my board really drill into the data and they say that's really great we can see the improvement can you tell us a story about what's going on here so they are able to be much better informed because they can see the numbers and obviously you know data presented in one way appeals to some so our financial data has a particular way of being interpreted uh, for those who are financially literate and um, and you know really that's often their accountants and they do fantastic work and ask really great questions tricky questions curly questions all of which are valuable And those who come from from other sectors on our board will ask questions differently. But what we know is they're continuously wanting more information so that they're making informed decisions about the organisation.
0: And that's that effective communicating of, of the data of, you know, two different types of people for different reasons. Can you tell me about how you decide how you're going to communicate data, how you're going to present it, how you're going to, is there a story involved with the data or is it just sort of raw numbers on the table?
1: Um, so we, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, some of this has been, um, trial and error. Um, it does appear to me that Power BI is the new savior of the universe. And because it produces this extraordinary information, it can sort of pull information from incredibly boring and complex Excel documents or, or, um, CRMs, client uh, uh, databases. And then it just can kind of distill them into these really um, very informative graphs. But really how, how, how we choose what it is that we do is honestly sometimes saying, this looks okay to all of us, and that's at the leadership team, um, we'll present it to the board and the board give us feedback. And so, so we obviously have, um, we are obligated and, and rightly so to be appropriately transparent and accountable to have a range of different datas presented. And so it's really about trying to present them in the way that, is, that best suits the board. Uh, We typically have um, tables for things like HR and payroll type things with a bit of a dashboard. For client stuff, we'll often give them numbers, but then we always will include a case study. And those two often will interconnect. And the case study enables the board um, and others to understand the data better and ask better questions. I think if you simply just presented numbers, You would not get the same level of engagement, but also understanding and therefore um, really informed decision-making.
0: I really love that idea of presenting a case study with the data, because at the end of the day, the data is just reflecting the happiness of your customers, the work that you're doing. And so if you can present the data that says that, but also the story behind it, here's an example of the data, that's a really great way of explaining your successes
1: absolutely and and it's also appropriate sometimes to share the hard ones as well um, because because sometimes our success is is in the learning that we have gained from a situation that, that either may not have been handled as well as it could have been or really had an outcome that nobody had expected and it wasn't it wasn't a great one but that, um, you know, that, that we've learnt from. So um, what we tend to find is um, there are some board members who, who flip straight to the case study and others flip straight to the finance report and I think it's really important to have, you know, good diverse skills that are making decisions in business around that space.
0: Absolutely. Does your organisation have a strategy around that data? You certainly use data to reflect your strategy for the organisation on a quarterly basis, as you were saying before, but but does the data itself, the collection of it, the use of it, uh, and the communicating of it have a strategy?
1: Um, so it's confession time. The answer is no. But it, And as I say that, I wonder to myself, why on earth don't we? We sort of have random bits and pieces that we sort of are guided by, but there's actually no um overarching strategy, and I think that's um, I think that's probably indicative of just the journey that we're on. I mean, we have a marketing strategy, we have a client engagement strategy, we have an external stakeholder strategy, we have all these other things, but we don't actually have a data strategy, so um, a great learning for me out of this is that we're going to explore what that might look like, and, um, and typically those sorts of things often, you know, we start by asking other organisations in sort of similar spaces, what have you got like this? And if we don't find anything, we sort of go further afield to another sector and say, how did you create laws. What did you do? Can we can we be cheeky and have you, have a copy of it? I'm I'm a great believer in not reinventing the wheel. If you can find a wheel that um, at least you can start to work with and ask questions about, and and then we sort of tend to bring that back into the leadership team and we and we work with it.
0: So do your research.
1: Do your research. That's exactly <laughs> right, and and it's okay that you'll probably get draft one and say we've done some good work. We've we've done a bit of consultation. We're going to give it a burl, but inevitably draft two probably won't be too far behind because as soon as you start to test it, you go oh yes. okay that's what that means. Yes.
0: <laughs> Do you think over your time since you started with Catholic Care uh, since two thousand and five and the increase uh, of the use of data and technology? Have those things had a change on how organisational performance is defined or understood?
1: I think at its heart, in in our space, we're, we're still wanting to be defined by delivering the best possible services to support clients. You know whatever that looks like, and and I would suggest at the heart of that we, we we are still doing the same thing. But in terms of decision making, we are much better able to make informed decisions because we have access to such a a, um, a great pool of data that's really clear and it's very reliable. I would suggest that probably in 2005 we would have made decisions that that you know wouldn't have been vastly dissimilar, but they would have been based on my gut feel uh, as opposed to really well-informed data.
0: And so you would have a sort of different approach to defining your key uh, performance indicators then now uh, th- than you would have um, 20 years ago.
1: Well. <laughs> If the truth be told, we possibly didn't even have KPIs 20 years ago. Yes,
0: we're all held to them now.
1: (laughs) Um, I think that look, without a doubt, and I think to be honest with you, I think really some when we first started getting into them, they were very, very. Qualitative, because that's what we could pull, you know, those kind of smart measures that how how you measure stuff is so important and counting is an easy way to measure. I think that we have progressively challenged ourselves to move into much more outcomes focused spaces, whether that be about client support services or it's about stakeholder engagement or collaboration. And we are really pushing ourselves to be able to define it in ways that we know that our Qualitative data is incredibly high quality uh, in the same way that our quantitative data is.
0: I think that's a really good hot tip for our students here in the MBA at USQ, Kate, that you have to make sure that your qualitative data and quantitative data both have an extraordinary value.
1: Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I guess it it would be – I would be irresponsible if I didn't say, at the end of the day, all the data entry is still based on humans. So, it, you know, it's never going to be 100% perfect. But I think that the more people, staff, understand the value of the data entry that they provide to the bigger picture, the much more likely they are to be committed to, to entering really good quality data. So our board are incredibly grateful for the data they get, and our staff understand why it is that we need them to enter that data. And therefore, we're much more likely to have very reliable, good quality data, which enables us to be appropriately transparent and accountable.
0: Kate, it's a fascinating journey. You've taken me on from 2005 to today and and how the organisation has developed its use of data and what that means for Catholic Care um, and its reporting and communicating. Thank you very much, Kate Venables of Catholic Care for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.